Oh man, welcome back. This is my first go-round in a while. Benjamin Raven here with M Live's Detroit Lions Beat, joined by a special guest today, Kyle Still out of pocket. I burn a week in May, so Kyle had an extra week on me. Jeremy Reisman, the Grand Poobah, the head honcho of Pride of Detroit. Great stuff over there. Uh, welcome, Jeremy, to the Dungeon of Doom podcast over here at MLive. Happy to have you. I'm happy to be here, but I've been a part of the unofficial Dungeon of Doom. Now I'm part of the official Dungeon of Doom, and I'm excited to be here. I was going to say, you were actually there when that kind of got coined, weren't you? The kind of stepping into this? So Pride of Detroit was actually credentialed back in 2017 i was not part of the i was obviously still on the team but i was living out in california so my first year right. officially on the beat was actually matt patricia's first year in 2018 so i missed out on, on technically being labeled as the dungeon of doom but i, I still kind of i feel like i <laughs> grandfathered in yeah no being the first year first year being the first year of patricia you lived to the dungeon of doom because <laughs> I, I just remember right. showing up in year two of patricia my first year and everybody's like wow it's so much better this year and i'm like really it's not <laughs> that good right yeah uh, Oh, a little backstory. Jeremy, I remember uh, I knew I was going to like you the first day you pulled into that parking lot based on your license plate holder, <laughs> the Greendale Community College. And I'll, I, right. I, I'm not going to spoil what it is yet, and I didn't off air, but I bought a very deep community reference t-shirt that I'm going to rock at training camp. That Ooh. you're going to be the only human on the face of the earth that's going to know what the hell I'm wearing. That Yeah, that, I get the same comments with the license plate thing because everyone's, you went to community college? You went to, what's GCC? You went to, no, I didn't go to community college. Not that there's anything, again, I'm not trying to right. name community colleges, but yeah, it, it's a reference to the TV show community, which is one of my favorites of all time. The human beings, I'm right there with you. But I'll, I guess we can get into it because uh, after the past three seasons, it does kind of, I mean, there was a hype train going in 2020. You know, the Galladay, the Jones, Amendola, Hawkinson, Swift with still Stafford. There was some hype going into that season, but this season, it feels a little different because it wasn't great last year, and it felt like maybe the guys on the B were the only ones that kind of see the tea leaves turning a little bit. But no, I mean, seriously, I, just this morning I wrote Caesar Sportsbook, the most popular NFL bet in July. Lions over six wins. Campbell all of a sudden getting the most money to win coach of the year. Swift most money to lead the NFL in rushing yards. Peter King opens this week with a glowingly football morning in America for the Detroit Lions. Where are you at on the blue Kool-Aid hype train, as I like to call it? I mean, shoot, that was three months ago when the schedule came out. I had them nine and eight, eight and nine territory, and I'm still there. Where are you? Yeah, I think I'm there. I'm try. I'm naturally, as a self-proclaimed fan, I ride the line between a uh, reporter and fan. I tend to be on like the more like, let's halt, let's bring in the, the reins a little bit. Let's be a little more casual with our predictions here because history is history here, right? But I can like, it, it's hard not to get swept up in it a little bit. You know, you look at, what Brad Holmes has done so far in the draft. And obviously a lot of those drafts are still TBD, but getting a lot of national praise, getting aggressive in ways that we haven't seen here before. The Lions haven't had two top 12 picks in the draft since the 1950s. And anytime you're comparing the Lions to the 1950s version of yourself, that's probably a good thing. But you have to look at the way that they finished last year. They were probably better, way better than the three and 13, three, 13 and one team by the end of last season. And that does mean something when you're bringing a lot of those guys back and maybe much to the chagrin of, of some Lions fans that they re-signed so many of those guys. But then you go out and be aggressive in, in the draft. You go out and get a guy like DJ Chark. And it's hard not to look, especially on the offensive side of the ball, and be like, they're a lot closer than they were last year. And throw in one of the easier schedules on the docket for the Lions. And obviously looking at past records, maybe the schedule doesn't turn out to be as easy as it looks. But on the surface, there's a lot of reasons to expect a significant jump this year. Maybe not into playoff territory, but not too far from it. 
No, absolutely. And I'm with you that we have similar feelings on momentum, but I think some of the things that the Lions can take from last year to this year, I mean, the offensive coordinator switch and stuff like that, that is the type of stuff that does carry over. And so that really does lend reason for optimism. And as you said, the back half of the schedule on paper looks extremely favorable. Both New York teams with a Carolina on Christmas Eve thrown in there. I know Carolina just maybe upgraded their quarterback situation, <laughs> but uh, I- I'm with you, man. I'm really with you. And who knows on the playoffs, but I mean, there's, I don't want to call it dysfunction, but there's been heavy turnover in the NFC North or even Devonte Adams leaving the Packers, the regime changes in Minnesota and Chicago. I mean, those are pretty potentially seismic shifts there. And I mean, they are really set up to take advantage of that. Cause I mean, you're preaching to the choir. And I think since January, it's been like this offense feels a lot closer than people realize. And now we can see it. Now we can see it. What's this offense going to look like with Jamison Williams out there. But I want to go back to Peter King's comments a little bit, just because, I mean, there were a couple interesting things. I, I just mentioned golf, so we'll go with that. King's comments on golf. Like I was telling you before we started, I love when a national guy, and not that I wouldn't expect Peter King to have a full grasp on the situation, but just like kind of hit the nail on the head, have an idea of what it's going on now and what could go on in the future. And he was quoted as saying, if golf plays at a B level and proves us worth, great. If he doesn't, the Lions saved 20 plus million on the 2023 cap by getting rid of them next March. What a fascinating turning point they're on right now. I mean, golf is set up for success without question. I have such a hard time because like, I've made my feelings on Jared Goff known, but like, how does he become anything more than a bridge quarterback here? Is what he did to end last season enough? What is the window for him? And it's like, I mean, he's set up, man. Those receivers, the tight ends, the running backs, the coaching staff is back. They care what he has to say. And then you look at that offensive line. What what does he have to do to be more than a bridge, I guess? It's a really tough question to answer because you can't ignore the past three years, right? This is a guy who was almost, I mean, it felt like he was ready to be out of the league by the end of his Rams career. And the Lions gave him another shot and mostly proved the Rams right for the first half of the season. But again, you also can't ignore that this is a guy who was also a pro- back-to-back Pro Bowl, a guy who led the Rams to a Super Bowl. And sure, it didn't end quite well in that Super Bowl game, but in terms of what he has to do now, it, it's tough because, like you said, everything is set up for him. And I think the low bar has to be how he finished the season. He has to be a guy who's on that edge of 100 quarterback rating. He finished top 10 in a lot of categories in those last four starts, but that's an awful low sample size, right? You need to be able to do that throughout an entire season. And with all the weapons they have and with all the protection he should be getting from that offensive line, again, health pending everywhere, he should be knocking on the door of a top 10 quarterback if he is the guy. And they're going to give him every shot to do it. There's no one knocking on his door. There's no one really that's going to challenge him for a starting spot. So it's Jared Goff's job at this point to be kind of a borderline top 10 quarterback. And I know that's a really high ask for someone, especially with the first time offensive coordinator running the show. But that's the situation he's in it. And I think you you laid it out perfectly. This is such a pivotal year for him where it's either he's the quarterback of the future here or he might not get a starter job ever again. It's fascinating. I mean, talking about like a preseason favorite darling in the Lions and they have a quarterback that they, you know, I mean, he might not be here a year from now or he might be battling with a rookie a year from now or whatever. I mean, you've seen the trades and free agency, but it's just like my favorite thing about the offseason, and it's weird because like, I'd never viewed Goff as the long-term option since the moment he got here, even after last season, it was like, all right, if he can do that, this team can be competitive at the very least. Like Brad Holmes clearly loves him some Jared Goff, so I'm fascinated 
because I'm with you. I think this is the turning point year. I mean, there's no excuses after this year. He's been here. This is his second season. There's an offensive line. I mean, all those weapons, all those reasons. The things Lions fans should be happy about. I mean, he's an extremely accurate quarterback. He's experienced. And the thing about Jared Goff is I think confidence, comfort, and feeling like he has a voice matters to him more than it does most starting quarterbacks in the league. And I hate to read into like offseason pajama season stuff. Thanks, Dan Campbell, for that term. But uh, <laughs> just he just seemed so much more comfortable and like he actually felt like he was supposed to be here. I don't know what he has to do to be the guy moving forward or at least get another year out of this. But I think it's going to have to be, like you said, top 10 borderline especially with the resources they added to the offense. And yeah, it's going to be an interesting year. I mean, one of the last things I caught before I went black for a couple of weeks was golf. I forget what podcast it was, but just kind of like talking to like the Super Bowl opportunity here in Detroit. So it's like, he sounds like a different guy. And I mean, one of the reasons for him sounding like a different guy has to be the additions at receiver. Jamison Williams, another thing, the last thing we'll pick out of that, Peter King laid it off that Brad Holmes has pretty much lived his entire career based on the don't draft hurt guys in the first round mantra. He didn't only draft a hurt guy in the first round mantra. He traded future assets to move up for Jamison Williams. I just kind of, you know, we were talking before we started, that kind of flew under the radar with the Sam O'Blions and the Rich Strike headlines and stuff like that. But just like, I loved what Holmes said. If I'm telling my guys to be open-minded, how can I do that in good faith without being open-minded myself, to me, that shows a, an impressive level of conviction for such a young GM to make such a risky move. And once again, curious for your take, because I remember it was like trading those future assets for her guy. It really was inconsistent with what we've seen out of Holmes. No question. And it, it's a risk. Like I know everyone gets excited for a new shiny weapon on offense, and he's a very exciting prospect to, to have and exactly what they needed. But we, we can't forget that there's a lot of risk involved in this. And if there's one kind of criticism I've had of Brad Holmes, and we still have to wait for it all to play out, because again, even his rookie class only has one year under his belt, it's that he tends to fall in love with these guys, right? Like we saw him go crazy over Penesul. We saw him uh, this year even say like, I would have been angry if I didn't get Josh Pascal. Like he, he was that, it's that conviction that he has. And conviction by itself, not a bad thing. You want you, the guys making decisions at the top of your company to, to have conviction with their choices. But I think that can get you in trouble in the NFL draft. I think even the best personnel evaluators make mistakes in the NFL draft. The best way, in my opinion, to really navigate through that is to give yourself as many opportunities as possible, which is why I'm very much team trade down in most scenarios. And so if this is a move that could bite him in the butt, like the fact that he's going against his own motto is, I do think there's a positive spin to that for sure. I think you want your guys to be open-minded. I think you're, mm -hmm. you want your, your personnel deciders to constantly be reevaluating their own mantras, reevaluating their own process. And that's something that he talks about all the time. Brad Holmes always says, I'm constantly trying to change my ways. I'm trying to look and see if everything that I'm doing that I believe is the right. And that's great. And that's something that you definitely want. But at the same time, if you're breaking your convictions because, oh, I actually just, this guy is special. Yeah. That can get you in trouble. That can get you up. So it's a minor red flag, but it's something that that's always in the back of my mind that like this level of conviction is dangerous in the draft. Yeah, and I'm starting to get the gut feeling that we're not going to see Jameson until after the bye week. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> do okay. you feel like that's accurate? Do you feel like that's kind of the gut feeling? All right. Yeah. And uh, how nightmarish are those first five weeks of emails and Twitter replies going to be? <laughs> I've been trying to prime everyone because I've, and I actually think a lot of Lions fans in fascinating status, they're showing a lot of patience for this regime, which is not something that Lions fans usually afford the team because they've been waiting for right. 70 years for a winner. But I think it speaks to how much they trust the guys in charge. I think it's 
it also speaks to how much they like the guys in charge. Like Brad Holmes and, and Dan Campbell are very likable people. And so I think people understand this team had a lot to dig out from what Patricia left them. And so if it means only getting a half season out of Jameson Williams, I think they're willing to wait. Yeah, you're right. There there has been like a culture shift with the fan base with yes. this like regime too. And it's been, they're not even, I feel like they want success this year. Of course they want success this year. But I think if this team even slightly disappoints and wins five games, they're still going to be like, that's another step in the right direction. And at least there'll be some clarity on the quarterback situation then. I've, I will give it to Lions fans for sure. A patience with this regime. It's the right attitude, I think, because they had to completely tear it down from the Patricia years, as you kind of laid out there. I mean, culture and football talent-wise, for sure. Two of the main pieces to that growing football talent, TJ Hawkinson and Amon Ross St. Brown. I've been doing a lot of fantasy shows lately, and it's really started to get me turning. Like, what are realistic expectations for both of these guys? I mean, entering the season, Hawkinson was it last year. I mean, he was absolutely it. People were shocked he was only getting two or three targets after the first two weeks. It's like, how would they target him with what defenses are doing to him? And then he goes down and St. Brown takes over and he's getting six or seven straight games, double digit targets. Like, what? Let's start with Hawkinson. Do you think he can, because I'm in the camp that I think he's going to be even better in this offense. There's going to be space to work with. He's going to be getting much more favorable matchups with linebackers and safeties that shouldn't have any business guarding him. So, Curious, what are, you, what are you expecting from Hawk this season? What are realistic expectations for him in 2022? Yeah, I, I think you nailed it because expectations last year, I think, were probably higher than they should have been just because, like you said, like he was the only guy out there early in the season. And of course, defenses are going to key on him. And I think what we found out was TJ Hawkinson probably isn't that elite level tight end that doesn't matter what you throw at him, he's going to beat you. He's not the George Kittles of the world. He's not the Jason Kelsey's of the world. And that's okay. Maybe the Lions thought they were getting that when they drafted him eighth overall, but it's okay. That's probably not who he is. But now they finally have those weapons on the outside, right? Ben Johnson talked with The Athletic recently in a great article over there about how last year he thought they did really get over the middle. And that's with St. Brown and Hawkinson. Those are the two main weapons, even throw Swift in there as well. Now they got guys on the outside that are going to draw some of the safety attention. They're going to draw some of the corners attention, some of the linebacker attention, open up that middle of the field. And yeah, I expect a better season out of Hawkinson much more in line with this Pro Bowl season, maybe even eclipsing what he did in that Pro Bowl season a couple of years ago, because now they can't just key on him. And I do believe that Hawkinson is a very good receiving option. It's just, he's not that elite rare talent that, that no matter what you throw at him, he's going to beat you. It's just, he'll win his one-on-ones. And I think that's the key for him. He's going to be in a lot more one-on-ones this year, and he's the kind of guy capable of beating. No, for sure. It is. I think he's just going to have to be a little more efficient because the looks might be a little harder to come by, but that's a good thing. And I think that's a good thing for St. Brown too. I mean, all the fantasy guys were groaning when I said there might be some games when he has six or seven targets. I feel like his floor is six because I feel like he is a true focal point, but just like, what do you like? Same regard as Hawkinson. What do you think St. Brown's role is this year with the outside help? We're not going to see him. I think we'll see him everywhere is what I meant to say. I think he's that type of guy. And I think they love their interchangeability at receiver with each of these guys inside and outside. But what, I mean, where are you at? I mean, this guy's not going to have 12, 11, 10 targets every single game. I don't think so, but he, it was the same situation with Hawkinson last year when towards the end of last year, because there was no Hawkinson, there was no Swift. Suddenly St. Brown was the only guy out there and he was still killing it. Like he was still unstoppable by a lot of measurements. And like you said, he's capable of doing so many things, whether it's in the backfield, whether it's in the slot, even a little bit on the outside. I think they're going to try to find as many ways to get the ball in his hands because he's proven he's capable of making plays there. And he's even the focal point of some trick plays. There has to be some sort of regression to the mean after the end of last season, but I don't know if it's going to be that much. I wouldn't be surprised if he still leads this team in receptions, targets and receiving yards next year. 
There you go. I'd like to hear that because that's kind of the same wavelength. I mean, everybody's talking about Jamison. I think people are just getting lost in the new names when they're talking. I'm like, they got their top two guys for that pass catcher room. And yeah. seriously, the pieces that they added just form perfectly together, in my opinion, for what they want to do. But, hey, we should probably talk about the defensive side of the ball because it's been pretty, pretty bad over the last three <laughs> yeah. years. They didn't do much to address the off-ball linebacker situation. There's definitely some interior defensive line concerns. I mean, we don't know what the rotations are going to look like. We might see Hutchinson on the inside. and But I, the main thing is we all felt okay about the DB situation because there's a couple wild cards at play there. They brought back Walker. Felt like they did what they needed to do at safety with Elliot and Joseph giving themselves a short-term and a long-term deal there. But how much better can this defense be? How much better can it be under Aaron Glenn in year two? Because it wasn't great last year, but I think we understood that what he was doing with what he had available, keeping games close and right. staying competitive, was reason for optimism. So what do you think? And how much better can this defense be? What's your most glaring concern on that side of the ball? The issue to me is that there's just so many question marks at every position that I feel like the range of outcomes could be like anywhere between this could be an average defense to it could still rank in the bottom five. <laughs> it, you know, it starts up front with, all the young players, right? Ali McNeil, Levi Onzerike, how much of a year two jump do those guys make? Year two jumps don't always happen. Have we seen maybe the struggles that will continue? How much of an impact is Aiden Hutchinson going to have? Romeo Quara, when will he play? All the focus on Jameson Williams. We didn't see anything out of Romeo Quara during, during the spring. So we don't even know if he's going to be there. And then you drop back, you mentioned the linebacking core, just questions everywhere. We don't even know who the two starters are going to be, let alone how good they're going to be. And then Okuda. Is he going to be a number one guy? Is he going to is he going to be right? I think he's going to be ready. I mean, he's jumping with 50 pounds on his back, two feet in the air. So he looks like he's pretty close to ready physically. But what will we see when he does make it on the field? And so my biggest concern right now overall is stopping the run because a lot of their focus, I feel like, has been on the edges. And that's good. Like you get pressure on a quarterback that can help you in so many different ways. But this is a division that has a lot of really good running backs and is probably going to focus a lot on that that aspect of their team. And questions i mean you wrote in the outline here the biggest question yeah. are defensive tackle and linebacker those are your run stoppers right there and so if, if they can't get that increased production out of levi out of Aleem, if they can't get someone out of their young linebacking group who can establish himself as a starting capable guy they might get gashed up the middle and you start getting gashed up the middle then the play action is going to be working and everything that you kind of worked for is going to fall apart so that run defense to me is i know it's a passing league these days but every coach will tell you in the nfl you still got to stop the run. And if the Lions can't stop the run, I think it's maybe a house of cards that this defense is currently built on. No, I think you're exactly right there because that's where that defense, even when the defensive line did their job to set the linebackers up to make a stop last year, it felt like they whiffed it more times than not. I mean, right. we'll get into position battles and stuff like that to get out of here here in a minute. But I mean, yeah, shoot. If you believe what the Lions coach has been telling us, they're really, they're expecting superstar jumps from these year two guys. So I think a Lynn McNeil, I... I I loved that pick the second they made it, and then he showed up, and he was a freak of nature the second yeah. he was on the field. And he's getting love as a breakout potential star. I mean, they drew the star next to his name at Pro Football Focus earlier this week. So it's like, I, I don't have concerns with McNeil. I really do think that I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to be an elite star in year two or year three or whatever, but I think he is uh, a set-in-stone core starter for this team moving forward. But after him, like you said, like we said there, the DT, it's Levi. Sure, this new scheme should help him a lot more if he's the guy that they drafted or at least thought they drafted. But after him, what is it? I mean, unless you're moving Aiden inside or Josh inside, is it Deshaun Cornell? Like, what? What? I mean, seriously. So I'm with you there. I think the run defense 
it's a passing league, but I mean, you laid it out perfectly. Chicago's not going to be able to pass the ball much this year. They're going to be running that ball. Yep. Green Bay lost Devontae Adams, and they still got Aaron Rodgers. I understand that, but their running back duo was pretty solid there too. And then Cook in Minnesota, and they always seem to be able to run the ball there too. So, I mean, taking advantage of the division dip is going to start with stopping the run. And yeah, but I want to talk about Okuda for a second too, because I mean, I know there's off-season training videos, but seriously, being able to do that a year, uh, less than a year after tear tearing your Achilles is pretty impressive. I mean, have you had to really just kind of tamper your expectations on him or what is the best case scenario for him? Because I don't even know where to start on that because I, I feel weird saying he's a potential number one in year two because I don't think that's going to happen. I, this is one of the most refined cornerback prospects we've ever seen come out of the draft, but serious injury and nothing but bad tape sense. What is the best case scenario for him? It's hard because he's such an endearing story for me. And I think most fans like it, just the fact that he's had to overcome so much adversity in two years, whether it's bad coaching in year one, Plus, he was also dealing with a core injury that, that first year. Remember, he, he wasn't perfectly healthy in, in that rookie season. And then year two, we get all this kind of hubbub. And, and you saw it, too, during training camp last year. It, he looked like a new guy who was maybe in retrospect locking down the receivers that they had at the time. Not that big of an accomplishment, but like you could see the swagger. You could see the confidence and you expect something different. And sure. Week one, half the game, he gives up the big play to Debo Samuel. That doesn't look great, but cornerbacks in this league give up big plays all the time. But then he gets hit with the injury and, and a devastating one at that. That's the key there, right? It's one that can affect you for you. Even with the tenacity he's shown in his rehab, and it looks like he's probably going to be ready, there's going to be long-term effects. We, we saw Cam Akers, right? That dude came back in, in insane time. Hit oh, that rehab, was ridiculous. Yeah. But not very effective when he was actually out there on the field. And running the ball, there's a lot of mm -hmm. factors in play there. I think... If you're expecting Jeff Okuda to come in and hit the ground running, you probably got another thing coming. But I'm also, I think I'm on the more optimistic side of Jeff Okuda. And I do think he can be a number one corner still in this league. You might not see it at the beginning of the year, but it's almost like what we were hoping for last year. This is a reboot of his sophomore season right. where if he's playing a lot, you should expect him to be playing a lot better in December than he does in September. And if, if you can get then entering year four, final year of his rookie deal, maybe, maybe you have something there. No, and I think uh, getting Glenn and Pleasant back was just a big thing for him. So hopefully he realizes it and uses every resource of it because the kid's got skills. The kid's got natural things that you can't teach for sure. But we should probably get into position battles. This won't take too long because there's not a ton of juicy ones, I guess, because <laughs> we're going to start with Trinity Benson and Quintus Cephas. <laughs> Are they fighting for a job or is there room for both of these guys? Or am I missing somebody on the UDFA kind of list and the guys on the back end of that rotation? Because, hey, I'm a proud CMU grad and I love me some Khalil Pimpleton for sure. And he does some <laughs> things that a lot of people don't, but I'm not trying to say he's going to make the roster. It feels Benson and Cephas, and then maybe Tom Kennedy will sneak in there. So yeah. what do you see from those? Do you see that as two locked-in guys, or are they fighting for one spot? It's a good question. I think a lot depends on Jameson Williams, right? If, if Jameson Williams can, some, can somehow make it to camp, and given Dan Campbell said before we broke here that doesn't expect him to start camp, usually won't say something that bold unless it's probably something that, that probably will linger beyond the start of camp. So if the plan is to have Jameson Williams on the physically unable to perform list, <laughs> into the regular season where he'll miss at least four games, then I think both those guys are in. I think yeah. that's essentially what wide receiver five and six behind. You got DJ Chark, you got Khalif Raymond, you've got 
Josh Reynolds and you got Amon Ross St. Brown. Those are your top four. Those guys are probably pretty locked in. And for the Pimpleton fans, I think the, the biggest the biggest guy he'll have to jump is Khalif Raymond. And this coaching staff really likes Khalif Raymond. And so I don't think that's happening. But yeah, anyone beyond that, I don't think is really necessarily fighting for a spot on the 53, but probably on the on the practice squad, though, a couple of those, those guys will make it. No doubt. Same feelings here. And I mean, uh, who knows? We'll see what Trinity Benson and what Quinta Cifa show up once the pads go on, too. That obviously plays into it. We'll stick on offense. The tight end situation, obviously Hawkinson at the top, a mixed bag behind him. Hey, Brock Wright did some solid things last year, but that's not, I've had to cool myself on him because I'm like, oh yeah, he was the only guy for a while, of course. So it's like, I think the sexiest name on those giant list of question marks is (laughs) Devin Funches. And then it's a bunch of, there's a couple of UDFAs that are interesting. What do you see playing out there and what are the chances? I think... Michigan fans kind of got lost in the Funches name, and I understand it. He's done some cool things in the red zone for sure. He's a unique talent, big frame. But what are the chances that he can even push a Brock Wright, a Shane Zilstra type for a job? What does he need to do to say, you should have me on that roster? I think that the biggest thing he has to do, and it's really the answer for a lot of these guys, is he has to prove he can play tight end in line. He can. He has to prove he can block because... You look down this list of guys, and a lot of them are they're receiving threats, right? That they're guys that can catch the ball, and certainly Funchess is one of those guys. But I know he played tight end in Michigan, but it's been a while since he's <laughs> really been asked to do any of that sort of stuff. And we know his potential as a receiver. We know he's he's had an 800 yard season and I think eight touchdowns in one year at the NFL level. So that part we know. But the Lions like their guys a little more well rounded, which I think is why Brock Wright might be kind of still kind of at the head of that conversation. But you look down, and I don't know who else is willing to challenge for the tight end spot that is capable of doing both like Shane Zilstra, again, more of a receiving tight end. You look at some of these new guys, we'll see that they kind of have to prove it on the field. I mean, the one guy that kind of points out as maybe a little unique is Garrett Griffin because he is more of the blocking tight end, but not, he has to prove the inverse that he can be more than just that inline guy. But the fact that he's been around Dan Campbell for four or five years while when he was in New Orleans, I can't ignore that completely as a guy that maybe is a, a sleeper at this group that could make the final roster. No, it's, uh, you're right there. And I, they want to try some different things. And we heard Ben Johnson and Tanner Ingstrom talking about space and things out more, trying to get one-on-one situations. And mm-hmm. for some reason, I just kept hearing that quote in my head every time I t- think about Shane Zilstra and Funches. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like, I, I could, it's really easy to picture Devin Funches catching touchdowns on some of the reserve linebackers and defensive backs. Like, so I'm, I don't think he'll make it. I think he's got a chance. I think he's got a better chance than people are giving him just because I think it is pretty thin, but. I would be shocked out of my mind if it's not Brock Wright and James Mitchell, who we haven't even talked yeah, about yet, because he's injured. He's another injured right. guy, but he said he expects to be full go for training camp. And I think if Mitchell is full go for training camp, that's your number two. I mean, 17.6 yeah. yards after the catch through college, he looks like a competent and willing enough blocker from this college. Yeah. yeah, willing for sure. And that's what they love. That's yeah. what got Brock Wright on the field for those wondering how that's going to shake out. I mean, he was a willing blocker. He did all the nitty-gritty things you would imagine Dan Campbell would like actually likes in real life so moving on from that I mean it's it's an okay situation obviously with Hawkinson at the top there's some interesting guys there but uh wouldn't be shocked to see them we'll see how Mitchell turns out they did invest into it I guess this year so <laughs> we'll go back to the defense side of the ball who is going to be that nickelback AJ Parker Mike Hoos we have been talking about Chase Lucas I know he's a seventh round pick but they don't get much more experience than that guy I mean seriously he's older than half the roster I feel like is it Parker's inside job or does he have to worry about something here it's a good question I think this is maybe one of the more underrated camp battles because I think everyone is just assuming it's Parker's job but Mike Hughes is a guy who can not only be capable at, at nickel but he provides some of that inside outside per- versatility and they're basically 
cross-training feels like everyone in that secondary. So if you can bring more to the table as, as some outside reserve role, then they're going to like that. They're, that's going to draw their attention. And then, yeah, you mentioned Chase Lucas, a seasoned veteran rookie, if there is one. And it showed during the spring, like you could see him out there bark. Like he felt like the leader of the secondary when he was out there with the second and third teams. Seems to know what he's doing, seems to be capable of, of a leadership role. So I, I think there's going to be a, a spot on the roster for him. But I think a starting role is probably asking too much of a seventh round guy. So I think it's probably between Parker and Hughes. And I think right now I would almost have it 50 50 because they were they were basically split in steps uh, during minicamp and OTAs. So that's a TBD for me. Yeah, that one's kind of flew under the radar. I'm kind of on the fence there, too. And obviously more wild cards in that cornerback room is what is Will Harris? What is Melifon Wu? Yep. When is Jerry Jacobs back? Does Okuda stay on the field? So obviously a lot of variables go into that question. But uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't think it's Parker's job locked in. That was an undrafted rookie who was solid in some spots, but that's not, he wasn't amazing. He wasn't right. stellar. He wasn't consistent. He was willing and held his own when he needed to hold his own. And Mike Hughes, we're talking about a former first round pick that's been around this league for a little bit. So it's like, hopefully people aren't too surprised if he overtakes the young kid there. And uh, not really a training camp position battle, but uh, Alex Anzalone's leash is something that should probably get be talked about. I mean, yeah. he's a leader on that defense. He's probably going to be a captain again for his second year in here. I'm just, that feels like an easy thing to bet on. So it's just like, what is his leash? What is his leash? And what is Derek Barnes and Malcolm Rodriguez's path to playing time to mid to late round picks? That's how weird the linebacker situation is. What is Anzalone's leash? Can he stay healthy? Can he make tackles? <laughs> it's interesting because if you believe Kelvin Shepard, the linebacker coach, this is a completely open competition. You know, he said not, basically nothing is settled at this point, and that includes Alex Anzalone's job. But I'm, I'm not sure I believe him, if I'm being completely honest, because I don't know if it was him or Dan Campbell, or maybe it was even Aaron Glenn, said that Alex Anzalone was coming off the best season of his career. Yeah, and they think very highly of him and he's that leader type role and he knows what the defense is. I think he's holding on to the starting job as long as he stays healthy. Hmm. I really do. And But that second job could be anybody. And the infamous bloodbath quote with training camp battle, I think that's what we're going to see. I think we're going to see a bunch of guys bailing it out. And I honestly think right now, Chris Board is probably the leading candidate because he, he does a lot of things the lines like he has essentially the most experience out of the group and he provides a ton on special teams. I think he's almost a roster lock whether he wins that job or not, we'll see. But Derek Barnes is another one of those guys that they're hoping to take a year to jump. But early, I don't know, early indications to me at least seem like he's still working his way up. And I'm not handing the starting role to him, and I don't think the Lions will either. And then look at Rodriguez, man. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen so much offseason <laughs> training camp for a sixth-round pick. And listen, some of it is warranted. He is a really smart player, and the way he utilizes it's kind of under sized frame with the wrestling background and i talked to some people who said anytime you mention wrestling for malcolm rodriguez you got to drink it's a drinking game for just how much you people like to reference it but it really does show up on his game and it's really interesting you saw it especially during rookie minicamp where I, I thought the coaches were spending so much time with the other players but with malcolm rodriguez they're like oh you got it yeah we don't need to worry about you so it wouldn't surprise me to see him get defensive snaps his rookie year but i don't think he's going to win the starting job yeah, I'm with you. And then I like the Chris Board pick too, because that is a very, that's a big time fit around here. If that guy can stay healthy and be what they think he is and he could surprise some people too. And then who knows what Jared Davis is. If they keep him in a straight line rotational role where he's just blitzing on a straight vertical axis, who yeah. knows? And they got, I mean, seriously, that it feels like a wide open competition, like you said, but behind Anzalone, it's just kind of, I'm curious if he plays like he did last year, if 
they're not going to be able to spin that forward too much because, I mean, yeah, he's the leader. Yeah, he's the captain. But at times he was hurt in that defense with some of his whiffs. And I know he was left on an island a lot of those times too. But still, when your leader is in the middle of defense and he's a heart and soul of your defense, maybe he's not the heart and soul of that defense, but I think he is the vocal soul of that defense. So it's just kind of like... You really want to see him pick things up because if he's better this year, then that defense is going to be better this year, and it's going to help those young guys because I do think he is a good mentor in that young room. He does seem to take pride in working with those guys. So, yeah, that's the linebacker situation to a T, though. Everybody on the roster has got a chance, and that's why we're a little question questioning ourselves about the success of this defense in 2022. And on that note, we'll get out of here with one last question. What is one thing you wish the Lions would have done this offseason that didn't happen? Mine's easy. I'll get it out of the way. I wish they would have put one piece of new blood into that quarterback room, whether it be youthful, mildly youthful, just a different backup quarterback. I know they love Tim Boyle. I get why people like David Blau, too. I think he is a good guy for that room, but I do think that they should have at least found a new plan B or at least tried to do something, maybe some youth in that room. What's your take? What do you think? I think it, it starts with where we just left off. It's the linebacker room. I thought they probably should have invested a little bit more, whether it was in free agency or, or the draft. And I know some people will go by the mantra that linebackers essentially are maybe one of the least valued positions in, in on the defensive side of the ball. And, and there's definitely some truth to that. But you wouldn't be in this bloodbath situation if you had someone that you were pretty sure was going to be a starter. And that's something that this defense needs. I mean, if they're going to have this more aggressive front, that means there's going to be a lot of gaps to fill for, for this linebacking core. They're, they're going to be relied upon heavily to make tackles kind of at that first level. And I don't know if they have a guy that that I trust in that role right now. And so I, I kind of wish they would have maybe just invested a little bit more in that position. And, uh, you know, when N'Kobe Dean kept floating in the draft, it was kind of like, man, I know there are some concerns with him, but, uh, and I'm with you, I understand the lack of kind of the off-ball linebacker role in this day and age, but it's like when it's as bad as it is here, then it becomes... So right. you need to address. I mean, yep. and that's why we're talking about it. So yeah, that's one A and one B for me for sure. I'd say it's about time to get out of here. We'll be back at training camp next week in person. Looking yeah. forward to seeing you in person once again here. And uh let's I gotta talk. I'm wearing my Conan O'Brien shirt. Jerky's on the shelf right now with a broken finger. That's right. And old timey baseball, gloveless yeah. baseball, man. 1870 rules. They just gained a whole new level of respect for people who played baseball in the 1870s for not wearing gloves. But uh, yeah, shout out, shout out the Lottie Daz over at uh, the, the Henry Ford Museum. Yeah. So for <laughs> all of his personal injury updates, follow him at Detroit Online on Twitter. They're at pridewithdetroit.com. Check them out for sure. You guys do great work over there. I try to tell you as much as I can. It's a great community. <laughs> so sure. just keep on keeping on, man. And we'll see you next week. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, it's no problem. And say hi to Kyle for me. Although I'll I'll be saying hi to him. Assuming he shows up next week. I even got an email last week. Where's Kyle? It's been a minute. He saved all his PTO for one swoop. I burned (laughs) a week in May. So I was back a week before camp started. Kyle will be back with me next week. But uh, big thanks to Jeremy for filling in this week and helping me out. And until next time. This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of MLive's Detroit Lions Beat. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom, an MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again.